Hi everyone, I'm Greg Lowe from Down Under in Australia. Cosmos Down Under is a production from SQL Down Under. Cosmos DB is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions and views expressed in the podcast are individual and don't necessarily reflect the opinions and views of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show four with guest Will Valida. Will is an engineer for Microsoft working in the fast track for Azure team. His focus is on application development and modernization. He's passionate about helping developers from all walks of life build great things using Azure. Prior to joining Microsoft, he worked as a software engineer in the financial and agricultural sectors, and he was a Microsoft MVP in the data platform category, focusing on Azure's Cosmos DB. So welcome, Will. Hello. It's very good to be here. Look, what I do get people to just briefly mention, I suppose, Will, is just what's your current role and what do you do? Well, as you said, I'm, a, I'm an engineer working the fast track for Azure team at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Essentially, we are a kind of a post-sales organization that works alongside engineers and architects to help architect their applications in Azure, um, suggest improvements all in the context of the well architected framework. We work with... Like I said, developers and developers and architects to help. We can help modernize their applications. Um, they might mm-hmm. have existing workloads in Azure, and we help to we help to improve those applications. So it's a, it's a variety of different stuff. We don't actually code alongside engineers. We're not mm-hmm. coding along with with the customer or engineer. We're there purely as kind of like technical advisory, helping helping them to build their applications on Azure. And then yeah. they use the products. They they have feedback for us around how the product's working for them. They ask questions about a product and we kind of feed that back to the product group themselves. So we yeah. kind of interface with the product teams in Redmond or all around the world, helping them to improve their products. Perfect. Well, listen, what I want to cover off today is just the area of how Cosmos DB stores data. And so in particular, people seem to get confused around containers and petition keys and those sorts of areas. So I thought we'd start off there. So if we could just start with like how Cosmos DB stores data in the first place. Well, Cosmos DB is um, a multi-model database. So mm-hmm. if we take the SQL API, for those of you who don't know, that you can have uh, kind of document data in a SQL or MongoDB API. You mm-hmm. can have columnar data in the Cassandra API. If you're working with graph data, there's Gremlin API for that. And then if you're just working with plain old table storage, um, there's a table API in Cosmos DB. So if you've kind of imagined the topology of a Cosmos DB account, and I'm going to use the SQL API because it's the most... Mm-hmm. Um, most popular API out of yeah. all of them. You'll have your account. So this is kind of like the mm-hmm. almost a SQL Server equivalent. And then you've got your databases that live inside that account. And then underneath that, you've got your containers. And then within your containers, you'll have your items, which is the actual data. You can have your store procedures, pre-triggers and post-triggers, um, and all those, all those scripts associated with that container. Yep. And so I suppose the first question is, why do we have containers? 
Well, containers, in my opinion, just to take off the, the Microsoft hat for a second, mm -hmm. is, is not the not the greatest name in the world. You can kind of almost think of it as a collection. And if you're coming from a SQL um, background, it's it's just a table. So it's just a, basically yeah. kind of like a, a table or a collection or a container just to store your items in Cosmos DB. Yeah, I suppose the and other products, they do always say that, yeah, it, it, they tend to talk about a collection instead. Although we do keep stressing to people that a collection isn't a table or a container isn't a table, <laughs> mostly because we can end up with multiple types of entities in the same yeah. container. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's also uh, important to, to point out a lot of, um, especially new developers and, and data professionals to Cosmos DB, it's important that you can't join between containers. Mm. So in SQL, you can do like a nice little join between, well, join data between two different tables in collections or containers in Cosmos DB, such a thing doesn't exist across containers. Mm. But the beauty about Cosmos DB is uh, you've got a lot of flexibility with your data schema. So like you said, if you have entities of different shapes, you Cosmos DB will just store it and it will um, just accept it. There's no kind of like schema validation for data going into Cosmos DB. Yeah, uh, that's great. And so within a container though, there are then structures within that. And so basically we then start looking at logical and then physical petitions. Yeah. So whenever developers or data professionals come to me saying, hey, we've heard about this thing called Cosmos DB. And when they're designing applications for it, they're, they're kind of three things that that's really to, to, to take note of when you're designing um, your Cosmos DB database. So it's essentially what your data model is going to look like, even though Cosmos DB is a schema-free or NoSQL data mm -hmm. store, it's still important to think about how you're going to model your data because you're still going to be querying it. You're going to be returning responses of the queries back to users. And this will um, cost compute resources and also yeah. money as well in the long term. So it's important to have an efficient data model for the purposes of your application. Mm. And then once that kind of, once you have an idea of what your data model is going to look like, you can then start to think about petitioning. Now, in Cosmos DB, petitioning is what we use to scale individual containers in the database to kind of meet the performance needs of our application. Mm. And as you mentioned earlier, with petitioning, we can kind of think of two separate, uh, two layers of petitioning. So there's logical petitioning, and these are essentially essentially formed on the basis of the value of a petition key that we'll give a, a certain container. Mm. And this is associated with an item that we store within our container. Yeah. And then all of the items uh, in a logical petition, they will have the same key value. Mm. And then all of these logical petitions will map to something called uh, a physical petition, which you don't have to um, worry too much about physical or focus too much on petition, uh, physical petitions, I should say, because you don't have any control over them. But essentially what a physical petition is, this is the underlying compute and of the of uh, the Cosmos DB engine, so all of your logical mm. petitions will be mapped to a physical, a single physical petition. Yep, and so this is a key part of the ability for the whole thing to scale in the first place. Uh, yeah, and so we have a much stronger scalability story than in most databases. Yeah, um, with that though, there's choosing a petition key is really easy in Cosmos DB. You essentially, mm -hmm. when you create your container, you say, okay, this is the path that I'm going to petition my data on. Where the challenge um, with um, logical petitioning is how that's going to perform 
under scale because once you've chosen mm -hmm. your logical petition or your petition key sorry you can't change it again if you do need to change it if you're running some tests and you're noticing that hey my application isn't performing as well as as it should you can't simply change the petition key part petition key of your um, yeah. container you need to create a new container and if you need to keep that data you need to migrate that data across from your current container into your new container with the new petition mm -hmm. key so it can be a little bit challenging there yeah, and actually, I suppose the other thing we uh, didn't mention before, too, is that as well as being a boundary that you can't do joins outside of, it's also a transaction boundary as well. Yeah, so it, it's it's kind of this idea that, that that all your database operations in the scope of your container's logical petition are really tran executed and transactionally within the database um, that's hosted by that part or by what we call replicas of petitioning, which is mm -hmm. uh, you can get real deep into that. But just for just for kind of simplicity, like all your database operations are scoped within that container's logical petition. So say if I'm running a store procedure, I can only really execute that within the uh, scope of that logical petition. Mm. Yep. Now, the other thing with it too, I suppose, if you pick the wrong petition key, the type of things you can end up with problematic, for example, is the size of a logical petition you could exceed. Yeah. Well, this is a conversation that I've had recently with a couple of customers. So they'll have use cases where they'll store data into Cosmos DB under the scope of a particular logical petition. And for a certain amount of time, lots of the data is really, really active. And then it goes really cold really quickly. Hmm. And while it's really, really active, essentially what I mean by active is everyone, say if it's in the, cons in the scope of an event, imagine we've got an eventing system, you and I, and we've petitioned our con container on event name. And everyone's querying about on uh, making queries against that event name and in the run up to it and while the event's going on, you can imagine all those queries are really, really um really active and the data is really active. And at that time, if we're storing a container with lots of events in, that is what we will call like a hot petition. So essentially that logical petition is kind of taking up all of our resources, all of our um, throughput that we've provisioned on our container because mm. everyone's making queries against it. And all of our other events are really, really, if people are making queries against our other events, they might experience um, some performance degradation because our current event wasn't a hot petition, which is a bit mm. of a problem when it comes to actually kind of scaling our application, making sure that it performs. Yeah. But you also need to make sure that the whole database doesn't end up in the one container. <laughs> Well. Yes, totally. Yeah, this mm. comes back to the data modeling part. So again, one trap that I've seen developers get into is essentially go, well, to try and keep our costs down, because depending on how you provision throughput, you can provision yeah. at the database level, the container level, mm -hmm. to try and keep costs down. Why don't we just store everything in one container? And mm. it would be a very interesting petitioning strategy to try and fit all your different entities under one petition. And again, depending on how you're querying it within your application and how you need to kind of like model that response back to users, depending on what kind of query they're running, it, it doesn't always work out. Yeah. And so if you're looking at petition keys then, then obviously there are good choices and bad choices uh, for, or, or let's say less than optimal choices that you can yeah. make on a petition key. So I, I think usually when I look at that, I think the the first is you you probably want a static value. I would have thought so. 
So you well, don't yeah, want you, something that's changing. Yeah, you need one because you can't actually change it once you've persisted the mm. item. So one of the kind of restrictions with our petition keys is once we've persisted our item into Cosmos DB, the actual value of our petition key path they can't change. Mm. And so yeah, so you don't really want it to be sort of like a, a property of an object or an entity itself that is potential to change. I mean, you, you no. even there, you don't want that to change either. One of the other things that they normally talk about is that ideally it's a string value. Yeah, well, the guidance that we give is it should only be a string value. Or mm. if you've got a number, mm. if you've got a number, ideally you need to convert it into a string. Yeah. And which is quite different to the uh, sort of way we tend to work in a lot of databases where numbers tend to work better than strings. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Indeed. And then the other thing is generally, I think we usually use a rule where it's fairly high cardinality is another one. So there's a lot of potential values to avoid them all ending up in the one spot. Yeah, I mean, this is, it, it's kind of dependent on your workload. So mm. if you've got a right heavy workload, a very simple, straightforward choice for a petition key is just the document ID. If you have a container that you know you're not going to query at all and you just want to dump a lot of data, right, get that really high write performance into Cosmos DB, you can use the document ID. And that, if you, depending on how you'll take a GUID for an example, in, in uh, yeah, just a GUID in your item, mm. you can get a real nice distribution of those items with, with that high cardinality within that container. Yeah. For read-heavy containers, if you have, say, a finite, a finite uh, number of values, you know that you're going to be performing reads or you're going to be querying a lot when you're uh, performing queries. What you can do is use that as your petition key. You know that you're going to get some kind of even spread um, between all of those finite or known values. That could also be a good, uh, good choice for your petition key as well. Hi, this is Greg coming to you from another time and place. If you have a data-related project that needs to get off to a great start with the right architecture, or if you have an existing project that's off the rails, why not contact us? We help organizations of all sizes, from startups to tier one financials, and we can help you too. Check us out at sqldownunder.com. Because, yeah, basically we're also saying, yeah, it's not just a case of storing it, need to be thinking long and hard about how you're going to access it later. And uh, importantly, I think also with Cosmos DB, if, if you make the wrong choices about the data modeling, you also increase your costs potentially significantly. Yeah. So one trap that I've, I've, I've fallen into as the past as a user, and I've, I've seen um, customers and engineers fall into this trap as well. Essentially, they kind of just dump their data into Cosmos DB. What they don't really think about is, okay, how is this data, how is this entity going to grow over time? How mm. am I going to query this data? What do I also need to return back to the user? Because a lot of people kind of fall into a trap thinking, okay, it's schemaless, it's schema-free. I don't need to worry about validation. Whatever's part of my um, payload, I'm just going to dump into Cosmos DB and it's going to be fine. Mm. But as we, but as we, as our items grow in our containers, the number of request units required to try and return that item back to us increases as well. And what we commonly see with like unsuccessful Cosmos DB applications is these really kind of like complex, kind of yeah, complex queries that 
try and bring back like a subset of that data where if you know that you're only going to bring back a certain amount of data you may want to look at like creating a materialized view on top of that data and then just mm. query that instead rather than trying to bring back like this kind of like mangled data back to your users just for the for purposes of a query yeah yeah i think uh, there's also just the basic nosql design stuff with the where you have things that you're going to update that maybe one to few uh, relationships ending up in a single document makes sense but maybe one to a very large number doesn't necessarily make sense no i mean the one piece of advice that I, I kind of give to customers and engineers when they're kind of tossing up, you know, should we go use Cosmos DB or should we, mm. you know, fall back into a relational database? If your relationships between your entities are very simple, Cosmos DB is great at that. But it, the more complex the relationships, relational databases are still the number one choice. Maybe if you, if you are determined to go down the NoSQL, path of complex relationships maybe you can look at it as an alternative like a graph database maybe use the graph mm. api for that but for gen generally keep it simple with cosmos db when it comes to your relationships mm. between your data because also i suppose it's always one of the aspects of that too is that if you're storing essentially the same value in multiple update it then uh that that it can be problematic and if if it's within the single container, then I suppose you can always, it is possible to fire off triggers to do some sort of maintenance on, on some of the uh, relationships of referential integrity type things. But as soon as you get across data being stored in multiple containers there, that then becomes much more complex. Yeah, you, you'll have to do a lot of like behind the scenes processing to make sure mm. it's all, all consistent. And you can use store procedures or triggers in Cosmos DB to do that, especially if you need it to kind of be transactional. But again, there's a lot of engineering effort involved to try and keep that consistency with, with data in Cosmos mm. DB. So it, it can be a challenge. Yeah, I think it's also just a a general way of thinking, you know, that instead of having something where I have a separate document there for every country. If the most common thing I'm going to do, I'm going to do is load up a list of countries, then, you know, they're all going to end up in a document potentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, when we're designing for SQL databases, we try and like normalize our data as much as possible. And when we come to NoSQL environments, we, we, we I've seen a lot of engineers essentially apply the same thinking and it doesn't really mm. work like that it, it it does pay dividends in the long term to kind of think okay how am i going to query this data what am i gonna what kind of response am i expecting from those queries and that's a good starting point to kind of think okay this is what my data looks like now i can think about petitioning how am i going to distribute this data and make sure i get that even distribution across my container yeah no that's awesome and listen the final aspect of this uh, that I just wanted to touch on today is that I notice we've recently had the introduction of hierarchical. Yeah, this is, this is really, uh, this is uh, quite a cool feature that's come into preview. Mm. So essentially another um, kind of term you can use for hierarchical petition keys is sub petitioning. So mm -hmm. Today in Cosmos DB, you can petition to a single level. So let's say if I've got a multi-tenant application and I'm petitioning by tenant ID. Yeah. With hierarchical petitioning, essentially I can 
configure now up to three levels of hierarchy within my petition keys to kind of optimize that data distribution. So essentially I could petition by tenant ID, user ID, and then say subscription state, for example, if I've been running mm -hmm. like a multi, say if their subscription is active or disabled, it's a multi-tenanted kind of streaming service and I've got a container for all my customers. And this provides um, a way for us to further distribute our data and optimize that data distribution and enable higher, higher scale because with each logical, because with each logical petition, we've got, I think about 20 gigabytes of data that we can store in there. It is, yeah. It's 20 is the limit. Yeah. But currently. now with, if you were just petitioning by tenant ID, you would, that would be quite limiting compared to being able to do the sub petitioning where you can actually have go right down to like a, a subscription state. Mm. So yeah, it helps us kind of optimize our data distribution. And one yeah. question I, I got about this is, okay, say if I've got a query that I want to get all the users that subscribe, who have let their subscription expire. If mm -hmm. I just performed a query within the petition tenant ID slash user ID, would that count as a cross petition query? And it wouldn't. Essentially what happens is, when we route our query to a particular user ID, it's still, even though we're not querying right down to the third level of a hierarchical petition, we're mm -hmm. still routing our query to the second level. So it's not a cross petition query, which is really quite powerful because then instead of you know, having to say, if we've got our old container with just tenant ID, putting like a query saying where user ID is such and such equals and, and our subscri subscription rate uh, status is active. Instead of having that query, which would cost us a lot more in request units, we can actually route it down to the user ID level and then just say, okay, where our subscription status is expired. So we can actually mm -hmm. optimize our queries that way using, using this hierarchical cool petitioning strategy, which is really quite awesome. Yeah. I, th I think all the other thing too is it doesn't change the the radical stuff under the cover. So I mean, yeah, like you say, we still have a a logical petition size of twenty gig max. I think physical petitions off the top of my head were about fifty gig of storage, and yeah. and again, the throughput still the same sort of deal. You might have ten thousand RUs per second and so on on a physical petition potentially. But and all you're really doing is they've now got the ability to have multiple properties of of a document that end up being part of that uh, key structure yeah yeah and so uh, yeah i think the uh, multi-tenant example is probably the most canonical example of that sort of thing because you know here's an extra value that you're going to have in every single entity or every single item that you store yeah, this is talking to a lot of our customers who are building uh, multi-tenanted solutions. They're really excited about this because it will, mm. again, give them uh, give them performance benefits and able to distribute their data a little bit more granularly. Yeah. Do you see uh, people with multi-tenant currently building it with separate databases or it not really... so much in Azure uh, Cosmos DB? It really depends on their deployment model. So mm. depending on how they're provisioning resources for their tenants, we do see some customers provisioning uh, different accounts for different customers. So yep. say if they've got like a premium tier, they'll have a dedicated Cosmos DB account 
for their for their particular kind of application stamp. Mm-hmm. And then for customers who aren't on a premium tier, let's just say a standard tier, we do see a variety of different things. So we see different databases being provisioned, depending on how many tenants they actually have as well. If they don't have mm-hmm. too many tenants, they could also have a container per tenant, but that's only for a low amount of users. So yeah, it really does depend on how many kind of tenants mm-hmm. your application is serving. Yeah, it's quite, I must admit in Azure SQL database, I'm quite a fan of actually the per tenant model in many cases, because the uh, it, it just provides, uh, it's a topic for another day, but there's just so many <laughs> things that uh, it enables that are more difficult if you have a single database. And I, I still see a lot of people building out software as a service applications still with very like centralized, large single database thinking in amongst that. But yeah, it's different again in uh, Cosmos DB, just because of the structure of how that all works. Yeah. Yeah. I think what the, the big challenge with with customers is really understanding how to optimize throughput, whether it's a multi-tenanted mm. or a single-tenanted application, because this is where customers kind of complain about the most, and, and quite rightly, because if you don't get it wrong, if you don't, oh, sorry, if you don't plan these things, you can spend a lot of money on a database that doesn't perform well for your requirements. Yeah. So coming back to this kind of like the essential, coming back to this kind of like the essential, essential concepts you need to understand when designing your Cosmos DB's database is to really think, okay, how am I modeling my data for the query type of queries that I'm going to be performing? Then how can I petition that to make sure I distribute my data effectively? And then I can start to think, okay, how much throughput am I going to need to make sure this thing is um, performing? Hmm. Excellent. That's great, actually. That brings us pretty well to time today, Will. So is there anything people will see you around the place or online anywhere or things coming up? Well, in six weeks' time, I'm actually going to be leaving New Zealand for the first time in three wow. years. Wow, oh, I, will... I should have mentioned you're in <laughs> Auckland uh, at present. Yeah, so. yeah, I'm going to be heading to Sydney for NDC Sydney, uh, which I'm mm. really, really looking forward to because um, it'll be the first time on a plane out of New Zealand. Um, yes. Not that I don't <laughs> love New Zealand. I've been here for <laughs> almost 12 years now, so I'm, I've grown fond of the place, I can say at yep. least. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to being able to travel again and speak to developers um maybe all across the world um see how lucky i get over the, yeah, over the next year it starts. Yeah. yeah i was looking at uh, heading across to definity in new- november but uh, we've, we've oh. still held it off ourselves and so uh, but i have i have already said i'm pretty sure i'll head across to Rotzla with uh raw law <laughs> depending on how you pronounce it in poland for sql day next year i'll uh, oh, see nice with that so yeah it's one of my favorites and uh, at least it's May next year, so I'm hoping yeah, things will have calmed down a bit by then. So Yeah, me too. Uh, very good. But anyway, listen, thank you so very much for your time today, Will. 